0: This is episode 130 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Negotiating and Speaking Up for Introverts. This episode is part of our near daily series during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I am delighted to welcome a new guest to the show. Uh, Her name is Jane Finkel, and we're going to be talking about her new book, uh, which is called The Introvert's Complete Career Guide, From Landing a Job to Surviving, Thriving, and Moving on Up. And uh, She's a career coach, speaker, and author. She has 25 years of experience helping clients with career assessment and workplace adjustment. She served as Associate Director of Career Services at the University of Pennsylvania, where she created and led the Wharton Career Discovery Seminar and served as a liaison to recruiters from major corporations. She's been published in the Huffington Post, Adirondack Life, Talent Development, and Mind Body Green. All right, welcome to the show, Jane.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: All right. So let's start off with a controversial discussion, and that has to do with introversion and extroversion. And I've gotten kind of resistant to terms like this over the years as I think sometimes they put us in boxes and we're really much too complicated creatures to be defined that way. But I would agree that it seems as though there's a spectrum that People can run from being quite introverted to extremely ex- extroverted. Would you agree with that?
1: Um, totally. Um, and I think that, uh, as you said, we're more complex than just being, leaning towards introver- introversion or extroversion, but it's just a small dimension of who we are. And we do have to be careful about stereotyping or embracing it, even if we think we're introverted, sort of embracing it and not thinking that
0: we can balance that. Yeah, or letting us letting it define us. Cause I find that with my clients, and you probably do too, it, it turns out in certain situations, even if they describe themselves as an introvert, they can display very extroverted tendencies, or at different times of their life, they're more extroverted. You know, it's just, it's a funny thing how that can kind of move around depending on circumstances and age. Right.
1: You know, I think it's also, um, whether you're introverted or extroverted, it's enhanced or or impeded just based on your environment and experience. So, And I think the thing with introverts is sometimes they embrace it too much,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and that they use it like I'm at a disadvantage or it's, it's an excuse, when actually there are so re- really wonderful qualities, you know, related to introversion.
0: Yeah, interesting. It's funny, I seem to have more clients that will describe themselves as introverts rather than extroverts. And I've wondered if that's true across the whole population.
1: Um, Well, I will say I have plenty of uh, friends and clients who are proud to say they're extroverted. I think why people might um, announce that they're introverted more than maybe extroverted is that, you know, the American culture leans towards extroversion, and that's no different in the workplace. You know, you're rewarded for speaking up and taking action, and now there's this extra layer of knowing how to promote yourself. Mm -hmm. And of course introverts can do that, but for them sometimes it's a little bit more challenging or not as natural as compared to people who perceive themselves as leaning towards extroversion.
0: Yeah, so start by telling us your story, which you tell a little bit about in the book about overcoming Mm -hmm. natural tendencies to be modest and not toot your own horn.
1: Right. Well, just you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on my childhood, but you know, I grew grew up in a large family where most of them um, were, you know, they there was a lot of talking, which is a good thing, Um, and I was clearly quieter, but it certainly didn't get in the way of success. In high school, I was editor of my high school newspaper. I was athletic. I won the drama awards. So I don't think it got. I didn't see it as a distinct disadvantage, although sometimes I wondered, I did get messages that I should speak up more. And it didn't really have much of an impact until I started working. So when I was offered the job at the University of Pennsylvania, I was very excited. Mm -hmm. I'd worked mostly in smaller offices before. So the particular office at the career development office at the university was quite large. I think there might have been 25 or more staff. So that was a new experience for me. And every Friday, we would have these large staff meetings. And I just froze up. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to you know, get a word in edgewise. I didn't know what to say. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm failing here. And then um, I had an opportunity to move into another area of the office and I thought well Maybe a change would be good. I was just trying to figure out, you know, how to get beyond this And I talked with a director to tell her that I was interested in this new area of the office and she said well That's fine. I'm going to talk to the supervisor and you'll need to go through an interview And I said that's fine she came back the next day and she had talked to my new boss, Gail, and Gail said, "I really don't need to interview her. she's great."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she talked about the way I interacted with the students and the sort of calm demeanor and that I listened really well, which are often qualities, you know, associated with introversion. Well, of course, that boosted my confidence. Mm-hmm. but it didn't um, I still had to learn how to speak up. So little by little, we would get an agenda before a meeting and I would start to study it and say, well, what are some key points or what are some questions that I could ask? So what I realized is that um, if I could have a little bit time, time to do some advanced thinking Mm -hmm. that then I could go to the meeting, you know, armed with some information to share. And certainly there were times when, uh, you know, I just couldn't get a word in edgewise But then I would maybe stop by the director's office and say after the meeting I thought of a really interesting way to deal with the issue that we discussed at the meeting Um, So I just learned to take initiative and to speak up and the other thing which worked out to my advantage is that this new position required me to interact with lots of different divisions in the university it could be somebody in the president's office it could be you know talking with uh, one of the deans and i got to like it
0: mm. interesting
1: i shifted a little bit more of what we might perceive as introversion to more extroverted skills so that
2: mm-hmm.
1: in a way i became more balanced mm-hmm. and i will say that sometimes in large groups i still struggle a little bit but mostly i have a lot of comfort with the parts of me that seem Introverted and knowing when it's time to take a risk and move beyond my comfort zone
0: And so do you think those experiences are what led you to write the book or was it more your observations with your clients? Or what do you think?
1: I think it's a combination of both. I think that um, When people write books There's something about their struggle or something about who they are that they want to express in the book so certainly the challenges that I faced and, you know, overcame were quite meaningful to me. And I thought they would be meaningful to other people. But also having worked with people at all stages in their career development and seeing some of the introvert clients that struggled with interviewing or didn't feel felt like they were a disadvantage because you know they were um, more introverted. And there actually was a study done, I think about eight years ago, where they took a sample of introverts and um, asked them about advancing. And I think it was something like 80% believed that extroverts would would move up faster than they would. So I think that's high. I think 80% is high, but I do think there are many introverts who think they may be at a disadvantage. So I think it was the combination of you know, my own experience and working with clients who may, they might not have said introvert, introverted. They might've used the words like quiet, or I don't know exactly what to say. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess it's a little bit of a legacy for me, you know, to be able to integrate some of my experience and working with clients and this whole idea of, of how we can, you know, be more successful in the workplace.
0: Yeah. I think the most important topic, uh, that you tackle and you do it very well in your book is salary negotiation, and I do think that this is a case where, if you don't ask, uh, you might not get. Right. And so let's let's talk about salary negotiation and your advice about that.
1: Well, you know, I I will say there was a study done where people who don't ask have a tendency to lose $5,000 right up front.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think the most important thing is to ask for a raise. Don't be afraid to ask for a raise. But you have to have a strategy. And I think the most important, two important components are doing research and also being able to articulate and highlight your accomplishments and how you have brought value to the organization. The one thing about asking for a raise is that you're a known, known quantity. You know, your boss knows you um, and you know the organization. So in thinking about your accomplishments, you do want to highlight or think really carefully about the things that have really benefited, um, maybe the division, but also the organization um, as a whole. And, you, you know, I think it is um, helpful to do some research to find out, you know, either what other organizations are paying. There's also something called pay scale. So there are resources out there. I mean, you also have to be careful because the money also is based on location and the size of, of your employer. But, you know, just to ask around to see what some of the going rates are for someone in your position. So that when you go in to talk with somebody, with your boss, um, you have some strategy, and you'll make you'll be able to articulate why you think you deserve the raise. I, you know, I think with introverts, sometimes they are a little bit, you know, sort of mousy <laughs> about um, asking for more, but they also have the uh, opportunity to write it all out before. You know, make a list of their accomplishments and. Sometimes what I recommend is that they actually send it to their supervisor before there's a meeting. You'd send a note to say, I, I know we're going to be um, meeting about the potential for a raise, and I thought it would be helpful in advance for you to just have um, a list of my accomplishments. Mm-hmm. So you give them a chance to kind of process it too. hmm I think the other thing that's really helpful is if you can't get the raise, sometimes, you know, there are problems. The company's not doing well or HR often gets more involved, then have other things that you might be able to negotiate on. So maybe they can't give you the salary right now, but maybe they can change your job title to reflect, you know, greater responsibility, or maybe give you one day that you can flex, you know, at home. So also think about other things if you can't get the raise. And I do think that if they say, look, we we so appreciate, you know, what you've done here. We wish we could give you some more money. We just, you know, my hands are tied. You know, there isn't any money right now. I think you don't give up. I think you can say, you know, I appreciate, you know, your situation, but I hope that we can we evaluate this in four months or six months, you know, whatever, whatever time frame works you think works well for you.
0: Yeah. I always say the important things in negotiation are flexibility, creativity, and having, seeing the problem from multiple perspectives and then allowing people to save face
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that it, it shouldn't become a toe to toe, you know, nose to nose battle. It really needs to be a, a conversation about how are we going to make this work right. so that I get my needs met and uh, we continue to work together because that because that's the ultimate
1: goal.
2: Right.
0: I like the idea of gathering data. I always encourage people to find out what the market rate is for the job that you're doing. But it's interesting that you talk about listing your accomplishments also. I think that that is another side that, When I've talked about salary negotiations in the past, I might have left out. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting strategy to do to kind of show those cards ahead of time, especially if you're kind of dreading this conversation because you know it's going to be difficult. Right. And then if you write that up ahead of time and you're sharing that together, then you don't have to verbalize that when you're on the spot and maybe you're starting to get kind of nervous. And so you kind of have that homework done at a time. It's like, okay, this is already set up. Now we have this kind of common ground about what I've done. And now we can have a conversation. I, I think that's that's an interesting
1: approach to that. I was just going to say, I like what you say about the collaboration, that really it's about a problem. and You're working together to figure out how to solve the problem. And I think it is important to... Also uh, see it from your supervisor's perspective. Because they don't want to, if you're a good worker, they don't want to disappoint you. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: But they do have sometimes pressures or things that are working against the possibility of giving you the raise.
0: Well, and I found generally in the places that I worked. You know, if you didn't ask, you really didn't get. And so sometimes I would, because I worked in finance, I could see the payroll records. And I, as I I became more senior, then I would also participate in the merit raises, which often was a process that we would go through at the upper management level. And so you could see the guys are getting raises and the women are not. And so I would say, why why is he getting a merit raise and she's not getting one this year? And they would say, oh, oh she, she's happy. She's fine. i say, how do you know she's fine with her salary? And they'd say, well, she hasn't said anything. So, you know, it's this it's this assumption that if you don't speak up, you're fine. And you may not be fine. You know, you may be quite uh, resentful of the salary that you're paid, but you do have to let people know that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think you bring up an interesting point about gender. So when I worked um, with the Wharton School and the seniors were offered jobs, the male students would come in and say, how can I get more? Mm
2: -hmm. What
1: should I say? How can I get more? And the women who are just as bright and talented would come in and say, can I ask for more? Mm -hmm. Almost in a question mark. So Mm -hmm but you know i agree that it's it's worth taking the initiative you know if you're doing really well you have leverage and they don't want to lose you so you should definitely speak up
0: yeah it's a tricky thing because no boss as i know sits in their office hoping somebody's going to come in and ask for more money i mean you know that that's not it's right. not the way the world works right but the other thing I would say about asking is that it does get easier the more you do it. And so even if you get turned down or it doesn't go well the first couple times you do it, just know that it will get easier as you go along and you're just practicing. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's a way to consider it and, uh, when, and to lower the stakes a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think negotiation is a life skill. So whether, you know, you're successful or not all the time, it is a skill that you can develop over time.
0: What differences do you see between negotiating a raise versus a starting salary?
1: Well, I think with a raise, you're a known, you know who you're dealing with, and people in the organization know you. It's really focused on your current work, you know, what you've done in the past few years. Well, when you're negotiating with for a new job, it's kind of an unknown.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: they are hoping it's like based on hope, right? So the employer's hoping that they pick the right person. And you, the who has uh, been offered the job, is hoping that this is as good as you think it, it's going to be, the actual work. So I think there's a kind of a different dynamic that goes on. I also think when you're... Um, negotiating a job offer, it requires a little bit more work. I know in my book, I have a chart where I what you want to do is take a look at your current situation in terms of not just the salary, but benefits and, you know, be able to take a look at from healthcare to whether you have flex time or did you get a bonus so that you make a list of what your salary and benefits look like now so that you can make a good comparison with what you've been offered with the new position. And sometimes, you know, we get so fixated on money Mm -hmm. that benefits are money too. Yes. Um, So sometimes people get more salary and then they didn't realize that they weren't going to, the health benefits were much less than what they had before. So maybe they didn't gain as much as they realize. So that's why it's really important to really take a look at the whole package of what you're dealing with now and what you're being offered so that you can make a, a fair assessment. And, you know, and, and similar to asking for raise, you know, there are resources out there. You can, and you can talk to people in the field about what they, they think about starting salaries, you know, for your kind of position and also you might just have a few things beyond money that you can negotiate if you can't exactly get to the point uh, that you want to it's also good to prepare in advance what's the you know the most that you want and what's the lowest that you'll accept and hopefully you'll get in the middle or closer to the top but if you don't think about that in advance then you're going to maybe stumble when you start the negotiations.
0: Yeah. I think, I can't remember, but I think on your list, you also included commute time. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people forget about that when they're negotiating, uh, starting a new job, that that can really impact your life. Mm -hmm. And, And it could be that, it's just not worth it to you, you know, for whatever, $2,000 more a year or something. Right.
1: Or, you know, you could be a parent who has young children and would really like one day that they could work at home. And that might be more worth it to you than, you know, the $5,000 more, you know, that you would hope that you hoped you could um, negotiate for.
0: Yeah. And I'll just reiterate what you said. Those Benefits and perks and all that, they really do translate into real money. So, if there's a good match to the 401k or a uh, stock purchase plan, I mean, some of those things can add up, uh, particularly on the healthcare benefits side.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So, we have a law now in California that forbids employers from asking for your salary history. They can still ask for. Uh, your expectations which of course they all do and they, it doesn't prohibit an a potential employee a candidate from sharing their salary history so there's some nuances in that law that i'm not sure make it quite going to achieve what the legislators hope that it would achieve and that was essentially to try and work against the gender pay gap but when you think about this law what do you how do you think that might change negotiations
1: I actually think it's really positive because some the focus should be on what you bring to the situation and not what you were paid for in the past. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I can remember having clients who, you know, asked for a certain amount of salary and said, and the employer said, well, you were only paid, you know, $15,000 Laugh, or you're you paid fifteen thousand dollars less. Why should I give you fifteen? You know, why should I give you twenty thousand dollars more?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the focus is on that, and not what you bring to the um, organization, how you can add value. I think the focus when you're trying to leverage salary is, you know, how you're going to contribute. What are the talents and skills that you bring that are going to uh, have a positive impact um, on the employer? Instead of worrying about you know what you you made in the past, so I think it's great. I think it's great for you know candidates who are you know going through this negotiation process that they don't have to feel something negative is going to happen because you know they're going to start focusing on um, the fact that you didn't earn that much and now you're asking for you know twenty thousand dollars more. When again the focus should really be on how you're going to make a contribution and add value.
0: In the future. Isn't it funny that we as humans have this this funny tendency to look at what somebody made before and kind of judge them for that? And and also, like I I can imagine some inexperienced managers or uh, not very nice managers Just thinking, well, that, you know, they're asking for too much. I mean, they're just greedy, right? It's this funny, we have this funny judgment about money.
1: right? And why shouldn't you be paid more if you're going to be taking on your responsibility?
0: Right. No, that's totally the logical conclusion. But I'm not sure that that always uh, bears itself out in some people's minds. People are funny. You mentioned in your book briefly not to pit companies who are competing for you against each other. What did you mean by that? And if you do get a competing offer, how can you use that to your advantage?
1: Well, I think it's certainly appropriate and does give you some leverage to let um, the company that you're interested in or that you're starting to negotiate with know that you have another offer. But I think it becomes a problem. They don't want to compete with another company. They want to compete for you. Um, And so if you start saying, well, this XYZ, start naming the company and saying XYZ company will give me this. So will you give me that? I think that they start to get feeling like maybe you're not really interested in the job that you're just trying to really push as hard as you can to get the most money. And I have to say, I had this experience myself. It's a little different. I went to buy a pair of glasses and I went to this uh, store and they were, you know, more on the expensive side. And I remember going in and saying, you know, I could get these, get something like this a lot cheaper at uh, Warbly Parker. The person who waited on me got really irritated and said, well, you know, can't even compare it to the quality. And so it got to be a discussion between his company and and that company. And I laughed as I thought he was kind of rude. And then I decided to go back because I really felt like the quality of um, the product was probably the best, the best for me. So I went back and I said, you know, you were, I was a little bit off put by your, you know, response about the glasses. And he said, well, I just didn't want to compete with that other company. I mean, in terms of quality, it's so much better. So I just, I mean, it's kind of an interesting example because, you know, instead of focusing on, instead of me focusing on what I needed, I got into a, we got into a a, a discussion about competing against the other company. So I think... Um, when it comes to a job offer, it's a good idea to let them know that you have another offer. It gives some leverage. but And you may give them some idea of what that offer is, but you really want to then not keep going back and forth between what that company is going to offer and what they're going to offer.
0: Yeah. I think there are two really important points in in what you're saying. One is that you do want your starting salary to reflect the responsibilities of the job and what the market will pay for someone who executes those responsibilities. That's really what you're trying to arrive at. And if it turns into, as you say, a competition between one company and another, now we've lost our way, right? Now now we're no longer letting the market dictate we're letting these two companies jostle for it It right. is sort of a i mean it's kind of a market but it's such a small one that the forces are getting distorted i guess i would say right yes yeah. so that i i understand that that makes a lot of sense now and i would also reiterate your comment about letting the company that you're negotiating with know the name of the other company because i have seen this go really sideways If somebody says, oh, they have another offer from so-and-so, bam, everyone in the discussion suddenly gets totally distracted about, oh, well, you know, that's ridiculous. That company is terrible. And, you know, yeah, just wait. They have no idea, you know, and suddenly the conversation is about something completely different.
1: Or, you know, it could put you out of the, um, they might say, well, they're like five times larger than us. So, of course, they're going to give you more money
0: yeah, it just becomes a distraction. Yeah. The second really important thing that you brought up there is the human side of negotiating and how this person took offense at your attempt to negotiate, or you really, even just your comment. And right. that can happen. and it it shouldn't happen. We shouldn't let our human foibles, uh, f- you know, get in the way of a, a grown-up conversation about compensation, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. Which I think sometimes is why people are a little reticent to to enter into a negotiation is because they're worried about what's going to happen, how the other person will react, if there will be bad feelings mm-hmm. or resentment, and those things all can happen. You know, pe- people are human after all.
1: Right. You know, I think if it, 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 you, we can't always guarantee, you know, how people are going to react, we can only control how we present things. Um, but I think if it's presented in a way that it's a collaboration, like we're working together to make this thing happen, I think your chances of success are higher. And it's also, as I said before, it's also having empathy towards the um, employer and some of the challenges that they may face but also being really clear about what your top priorities are. And somewhere, hopefully, you meet in the middle.
0: Okay, so here's a tough situation. You've you've gotten a job offer. It's a place you want to go work. And darn it, they just won't budge on their starting offer. So uh, what do you do?
1: Um, I think that, uh, as I mentioned before, if you have some other ideas, um, if you really want the job, and you're disappointed about, you know, that they can't budge on the salary. And sometimes they re- it really isn't in their control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why thinking in advance about other things, other benefits and other things that you can get instead of the money, you know, like the job title or flex time that we mentioned before. And I, you know, would also say that, you know, you understand their uh, situation, but you hope after you've been there for four or six months that you could that you can have reevaluate and have this discussion again.
0: All right. So let's say that you're now in your company and uh, you're working along, and you ask for a raise, and they turn you down. They say just can't do it now, can't swing it. Uh, all kinds of excuses that companies come up with. You know, would put you out of whack with other people in your range. Uh, you know, who knows, there are a thousand uh, reasons that companies give for not being able to give you a raise. Should you keep trying or should you let it go?
1: Um, I think you should keep trying diplomatically. You know, if you can wait about three more months and maybe in three months, you've been really successful on a project and you can use that as leverage. I mean, at a certain point, if you ask a few times and nothing happens, you have to reevaluate where you, you know whether you want to stay there or not. You know whether it's time to look for something um, new.
0: Yeah, I would say my own experience with that is, of course, you know, as a manager, you don't want somebody constantly nagging you about their salary.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I I did find that people could be effective at bringing it up periodically. And in my own experience, I had kind of a turning point in my career where it was the point at which I was going to leap from being a senior director to a VP. And it took me about a year to get that to happen. So Mm -hmm. I I, I do encourage people to be patient because it can take a long time for an organization to get their heads around something that is a big move like that.
2: You know, I
1: also think it's good to remind your supervisor that you're a high performer because, you know, most, most employers don't want to use, lose those people that are, you know, really excelling at their work because they're going to lose out if you leave.
0: Yeah, that is such an important thing that I think is forgotten sometimes on the part of managers is retention is really golden. Having somebody leave and having to replace them is so expensive to the corporation. And so that can help you as a manager make the arguments to your supervisors and upper management that, look, it really, you know, I know it looks like a lot of money, but it's it's cheap compared to what it would cost us if this person leaves. It's a tougher argument to make because it's hard to quantify what turnover costs you. But it is expensive. Mm-hmm.
1: And it puts so much stress on um, everyone around you. You know, if someone leaves, then you have one less person to do the work.
0: Do you have any anecdotes or lessons learned from your client's salary negotiation, successful or unsuccessful?
1: Well, I think um, and we talked about this before, that it's just important to encourage. I always encourage my clients to ask for more. That, you know, whether they get it or not, they're gonna at least develop skills uh, in negotiation. And also, you know, the importance of uh, being prepared. You know, you might be nervous and you think, well, I'll just go in and see what happens, but you really do need to have a strategy and you need to research carefully. And you need to be realistic, you know, about what's possible and what's not possible. I know um, I mentioned this in the book, but I worked with a physician who had been out of school for four years. And she was working in a small practice and she was making 130000 a year. She had a good 401k plan, developing a good reputation in um, family practice. And she was recruited by a very large, well-respected, established practice. And she was kind of, she wanted more money. And, you know, we didn't know exactly at the time, you know, what would be the best Um, Amount to ask. And so she did research and she talked to other practices and she found out with about five years of experience, the rate was about 158,000. So she only had four years. So we sort of figured out together that uh, if she could get close to 150, that would be really comfortable. The other, again, money, we focused on money. She was a single parent with um, a, I think a four or five year old. So she really wanted a more flexible schedule, like seven to three. She was also asked to teach a course, so she wanted to make sure she would have enough time. And I, I also thought that she could use that as leverage um, when she was negotiating that they would be hiring somebody that was teaching at a medical school, that that would be, give the practice you know, um, even more credibility. So she did the research. We worked together. And what happened is they didn't, they couldn't give her 158, but she got 145 and a schedule of seven to three. And they were really excited about teaching. And they said, if she needed some extra time uh, to teach, they would allow her to do some of the record keeping at home. So just do, it's just an example of how doing your research and being really clear about what your priorities are really make a difference in the negotiation. No, well, actually, she got more than money. She was really, really happy with the results. So,
0: I was going to say, and being creative in ways that will make uh, that job work for her, because having that schedule is amazing. You know, that's such a huge benefit to her. All right, so let's uh, switch from money to. Uh, Some advice that you have in the book about people who have difficulty uh, speaking up or bragging about the things that they've accomplished, so people who feel that they're a little bit more introverted and have a tougher time talking about how great they are. So what's your advice for those people?
1: So I think the key with people who lean towards introversion is advanced planning. So anytime, because... Where a lot of introverts get energy is where they have a lot of time to think things through. You know, if they have situations like speaking up in a meeting or going to a network event, um, I have what I call the three golden rules for speaking up. And one is to kind of use the natural energy of reflection. So before you're going to go to a network event or before you're going to go to an important meeting, you know, what are some important issues that you would like to bring up? Or, you know, what are some questions that you'd like to ask? Or maybe you want to report on a a project that you're working on, because that could also start to reflect your accomplishments. And then You know, often when I start to reflect, I have like lots of ideas. So the next thing is to prepare, you know, organize what it is that you want to say. Maybe you're going to make notes in front of you. Maybe you're going to do a PowerPoint presentation. Also, you may, if it's something really important, you may need to practice. Maybe it's just reviewing your notes or maybe you find a colleague or your supervisor and you say, I'm a little nervous about this. Can I practice? Or you could actually tape yourself you know, to hear how you sound. But I, I think it's that advanced preparation that's really helpful. I think in terms of accomplishments, there are subtle ways that you can do it so that if you are at a meeting um, and you're working on a project that's going well, that's another reflection of you know, accomplishments are starting to achieve, achieve something important. The other way and which is a wonderful, I think a gift to introverts is social media. So and I'm focusing mostly on LinkedIn. So if you did a presentation and it was video, um, you can post it on LinkedIn or maybe you won an award. Um, or maybe you had an article that was published, or you were just acknowledged for some unique, innovative idea. All those things can be posted on um, LinkedIn. So a lot, you know, you just press the key, and a thousand people, you know, learn about your accomplishment. You know, some people, a lot of people that are tend to be a little quieter, enjoy writing, and so introverts can also write a blog. And that's another way that you show that you have expertise. But so I think there are a number of ways that you can let people know that you're doing really well without feeling like you're bragging so much.
0: Yeah, I think the idea of posting things on LinkedIn is interesting. It just occurred to me as you were talking, what it is, is external validation of your worth. And so instead of you having to say, I'm great. (laughs) You can instead be a little more subtle and say, I won an award. It, there's a, it, it's just a slightly different slant on it. But one of one comes across kind of braggy and the other one is is more factual based. So it seems less embarrassing.
1: Right. And, you know, you often get a lot of response. You know, people notice, you know, in a way that doesn't feel like you're on top of them. Like, see how great I am.
0: Right. All right. How about ways to enter a conversation if it doesn't come easily to you to speak up?
1: Well, I guess I get back to that idea of advanced planning. And I don't think it's the worst thing to actually write a little script for yourself. You don't have to memorize it, but you can have key points um, so that when you meet people, you have some idea of some things that you might wanna highlight. And you may not get a chance to say all of those things. And I think if it's a, a you know a business networking event or just a meeting that you, you might have, again, to if you're for meeting somebody for the first time, one of the things that introverts tend to do well is they, cause they don't always like to disclose too much about themselves right away is they probably will ask the other person lots of questions. And that's not the worst way to begin a conversation. And then often sometimes someone will say something when they're answering the question that makes a connection for maybe the introvert. And then they start to maybe disclose more about themselves. But I also think it's really important. You can't rely on that. So it's really important that you have a little script in your head that maybe is like a summary of your experience um, and your career background, and maybe one accomplishment um, so that you, if you're talking about your job um, and your career, you can say, and recently I was really excited because I'm working on this new project and it looks like it's gonna be adopted by more divisions than just my division. And also to be able to talk about where you might see some of your specific talents and skills and also be thinking, I think, in advance about who you might like to talk to and what your interest is. I mean, do you want to get career advice? Do you want to just exchange information about um, your field? Do you want to learn something new? So also think in advance about what it is you want to accomplish when you're you know having conversations with people you don't know that well
0: what if you're in a situation where a lot of people are talking maybe at a meeting or at a networking event and you're trying to insert yourself in the conversation any tips for that
1: yeah i i say this is going to I, talk, I i use the term diplomatic interruption and i think you interrupt But, and I think you can do it in diplomatic ways to say, sorry to interrupt, but something you just said made me think of um, experience that I had. Or if you're at a meeting and there's been so much talking and you really hope to give a report, you could say again, sorry to interrupt, but I noticed that we only have 10 minutes left. And I wanted to share some important data that I think uh, will make a difference as we're planning this new program.
0: Yeah, I think having some phrases in your back pocket that you can use in situations like that is helpful. Yeah, so I encourage people to have some kind of preamble that they use and feel comfortable using and practice using. Sometimes you can do it physically, Like sometimes you can put your hand up and then people know (laughs) that this is, yeah, that this is, um, you need all the talking to stop for a minute so you can contribute. And I guess that's also how I would encourage people to think about it is you do have a contribution to make and people will benefit from that. And so it is worth your while to speak up. I know Mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's hard for us to think to uh, screw up the courage to leap into a conversation. But that that really is why you're there is to contribute, even if other people aren't necessarily inviting you into the conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it is okay to be quiet initially. You don't have to be the first person to talk because that was something that I struggled with. I thought, if I don't talk within the first five minutes, I'm doomed. Mm. And I realized that some of that time to listen and Mm -hmm. um, observe uh, tended to be valuable. And that by the time I was ready to make the comments, they were probably a little bit more insightful. Mm -hmm.
0: I find with my clients that a lot of them are on the fence about whether or not they should leave their job. And do you have a checklist of things uh, that you Would encourage people to consider when they're determining whether or not it's time to move on?
1: Well, I think probably the biggest consideration is money. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to leave a job, it's important to understand that it might take anywhere from six months to 18 months to find a new position. And if you have enough savings, you know, it can be okay. Because sometimes if you quit, you could. Increase the anxiety now, mm-hmm. worrying about you know if you have enough money to eat. Um, so I think that money is probably the most important uh, consideration. So sometimes people do have enough savings, and so you know that works really well. Also, I think there are situations where you might have two children in college, and you're paying college tuition, and you really would like a change, but. You know your priority is your family, so I think it's it's a matter of, of money and you know the what your priorities are um, at the time, and then I think the other thing that's I think a more difficult situation is that some people in the workplace face actual abuse, emotional abuse by a supervisor or a colleague. And the more you stay, the worse that situation gets because they have such control over you, and it's damaging. So those situations, I think, are really I think it's good to get out of them um, you know as quickly as you can, but that you know I think those are the most challenging situations.
0: I was assuming that people would uh, stay in their current job while they were hunting for a new job. is do you have any advice about that situation?
1: Well, I think that uh, the thing is to be careful about when you or how you look for the job while you're working. So I do remember um, situations where uh, I was working in an office where people were obviously looking for another job and were duplicating their resume, you know, the Xerox
0: (laughs) room. Right.
1: So it's just important that the job search is separate. You know, and sometimes they were, uh, I remember I was being approached about a position and uh, someone sent me an email and I kept the monitor open and somebody walked in. Not that they could necessarily see the email. So you have to be really careful. And also, um, I think that the best way to find a new position while you're working is through um, networking. And I think that, you know, when they've done surveys, 75%, somewhere between 70 to 75% of people who find uh, new opportunities, it's through uh, networking, especially if you have experience. And I think that's sort of challenging while you're working to make time for that. I think while you're working and you're looking for a new job, I think the most important thing is to... How you can make it a priority while you're working
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how you can manage it. So often, what I tell clients is on Sunday, you know, when you're scheduled for doctor's appointments and, you know, meetings at work, that you find just an hour, um, maybe during lunchtime, maybe after work, where you can, you know, take a look at postings or make some phone calls. So you have to make it manageable because you know, you're trying to balance your work life, but you want want to make a change.
0: All right. There were some expressions in the book or turn of phrase that I thought were really charming. One of them was something about walking hand in hand with hope. I <laughs> love that. And there's another one about massaging your ego, which was pretty funny. And then the one uh, toward the end of the book that I also really enjoyed was you make a reference to I had to consort with my inner warrior. so I really I really enjoyed some of the writing that was in the book. And what are your hopes now for the book?
1: Well, I think that um I'd like to think that i uh, the purpose was to speak out for introverts, but more important, to help introverts speak out for themselves. But I think really, most important, I want to build confidence. I want introverts to feel like they should embrace it and be who they are. They don't have to change, but they do need to sprinkle in more extroverted skills to be successful. And I just overall want to want, you know whether you're introverted or extroverted, because I do have extroverts that read the book, that there's some tools and ways which you can build confidence and be successful.
0: All right, so we're winding down here. Before we close, Jane, is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners about where they could find the book or follow your work?
1: Yes, um, my website uh, is easy. It's janefinkel, one word, dot com, And there's more information about the book and the kind of work that I do with clients. And the book is available online on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, IndieBound. So it is easy to um, purchase. You know, there's just um, lots of really good information on the website.
0: Good. Well, thank you for writing the book and thanks for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thanks again.
0: That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, d-i-s-c-r-e-e-t, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care
2: about you.